My name is Melissa Medina. I work primarily in video games. I'm known for Aliens, Fire Team, Return to Monkey Island, Star Wars, all kinds of cool stuff. Change into voiceover champions to save the voiceover world. Hello, everybody. This is the Voiceover Champions podcast, and I'm your host. Joshua Seth. And today is going to be the final part of a three-part series that I've been doing on how to get booked as a remote voice actor. So if you're somebody that wants to be a voice actor and you don't live in one of the major hubs and you're wondering how to get booked and how you could possibly have a career living somewhere else, I can tell you it is very possible. This is the third voice actor that I have interviewed about it. So if you haven't listened to the last two parts, definitely check that out. Today's guest is Melissa Medina, and she's got a lot of great tips and tactics and hacks basically about how she was able to make her way into the industry even though she lives in Minnesota. But before we get into that, I want to let you know that I'm opening up registrations for my next voice acting workshop I know I have not had one in three months, and that's because I've been appearing at Comic-Cons every weekend. So thank you, by the way, to everybody that came out to see me at WeebCon in Dallas, Texas last weekend. That was amazing. That's the biggest convention I've done on the current tour, and it was great just to see everybody there and all my other voice actor friends from all the big shows. So big party. And by the way, if you saw me post on social media that I'm going to be at QuadCon in St. Cloud, Minnesota this weekend. Oops, my bad. Apparently there were two quad cons both this weekend. One of them is the one in St. Cloud, Minnesota. That is not the one I'm going to. I'm going to be at Quad City Con's Mighty Con in Iowa this weekend. And it is a good thing I found out before going to the airport. So anyway, back to the voice acting workshop. These workshops are on Zoom. I'm going to try something new this time. I have to limit it to about 10 people because it takes time for me to give you coaching and feedback and work one-on-one, -on -one. but it's to everybody's benefit to watch this process unfold because it's applicable to anybody wanting to do voice acting. So this time I'm going to also open it up to observers, people that want to audit the class, watch it, but not actually be on camera and get the coaching. But this will be on Saturday, May 13th. If you're interested in that, just scroll down in whatever app you're listening to this podcast on and click the link to sign up for the voice acting workshop on May 13th. And I hope to see you there. Now let's get to my conversation with voice actor, Melissa Medina about how to get booked as a remote voice actor, no matter where you live. She's got a lot of really interesting ideas about how to do this. They worked for her and I'm sure they can work for you too. Let's go. Where are you? Which of the 10,000 lakes do you live near? In Minnesota, <laughs> eh? You live in Minnesota? Minnesota. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I live near the big one, uh, Lake Superior. It's the best one, apparently. Can you can you talk about putting somebody in a wood chipper, please? <laughs> I think uh, there's a there's a quote about someone like if I if I don't get away from this snow I'm gonna go crazy, um, yes. and that's where I'm at right now. That's <laughs> right. That's what anybody everybody knows that about. How yeah. did you end up in Minnesota? Um, You're not from there. 
No, I'm not from there. Um, I I ended up moving for for work. Uh, there's a, so I used to work in IT, mm -hmm. and I switched from IT to uh, to voice acting randomly. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I moved over here for that and decided I couldn't do, I just couldn't do it anymore. So you, you moved there for IT work. Yes. When did the voice actings, and also, also, I got to say for our listeners, uh, beautiful singing voice. Yeah. I know you're, uh, you. uh, trained as an opera singer. Like you seem like a person that doesn't do things halfway. I've been to your website. I've looked through all the stuff and that's why I'm talking to you because you seem like a person that does things to the best of your ability. And if you don't know how, you'll figure it out. Damn right. I love that. Thank you. No, zero chill. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do. I, I try really hard. Um, and I think you have to when you don't live in a hub and, and you don't kind of have uh, connections because I'm, I'm fairly new still. So um, I just kind of came in and said, you know, I think what I'm going to do is just kind of do what I like to do. And, and I want to attract what I like to me. And, and um, social media helped a ton with that. So, yeah, um, I ended up rage quitting IT. <laughs> hey, and, how did that yeah. uh, transpire? So I worked for a company who shall not be named, but it's a big one. And, um, and I think it's one of those things where you have to buy in completely or not at all. And Like I just, a cult. Yeah, yeah. It, mm, don't a even lot get of, me a lot of sales-based organizations are like that. Yes. And, and when your food comes from the same place and the building that you live in is owned by them and mm -hmm. you're, you buy your clothes from them, it's kind of like, okay, I'm done. Like um, indentured servitude, like you're <laughs> working for your room and board. I feel like and at any moment I would walk into the office and it would be like invasion of the body snatchers where somebody would point at me and be like, they don't belong, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and apparently yeah, so. they were right. Yes, they were you very no right. longer belong. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, take this job and shove it. I'm out of here. Pretty much. And I hadn't taken a vacation in like 10 years. So mm -hmm. um, I was like, Where'd I'm going to, I, I actually started doing voice acting. I was like, okay, I can go travel or, okay. or, I can, or I could invest in some equipment. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I ended up, I, I listened to a lot of audiobooks, and that's where I started, which was not the brightest decision on my part. Uh <laughs> you know, audiobooks are my preferred way of consuming entertainment. And Me too. I like listening uh, to long form fiction books, yeah. especially like Stephen King and stuff like that. Me too. And the yes. narrators, the good ones are so good to keep yes. all those characters straight and hold your attention and tell a story over 10, 20 hours. It, the stand was 48 yeah. hours long and I wanted more. That is, I know, and it's insane. And I heard that and I was actually listening to a Stephen King book mm. uh, when I decided, is that a job? Can, can, mm -hmm. can I do that? Yeah. Um, and I started so, looking okay. into it. Yeah. So let's jump into the practical, helpful advice for people. So how did you then turn that avocation into a booking? Like, did you approach one of like a HarperCollins kind of a company or did you go the ACX route through, that's it? Yeah, through Amazon? Yeah. Mm -hmm. ACX. Yeah, I, that okay. was I, I mean, I really just started Googling everything and looking yeah. for uh, guidance videos and stuff like that and just educating myself because I didn't really know where to look. So I went on ACX and I went, I don't love this, but OK, I'll try it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I hopped in and, and I I made the mistake of hopping into like an eight hour fiction fantasy novel because that's what I like. Mm -hmm. um, but it, Why taught was it me a, a mistake. Lot. 
it's like jumping into the deep end. It's, you know, you have to do not just the the work, but you have to get the voices straight. And then you have to do the engineering aspect of it too on ACX. It was a um, long, and, complicated first yeah. gig. And how many auditions did it take before you booked that? Uh, Probably about 10. That's not too bad. Yeah. No, it's I, not too bad. I kind of started... I, I didn't want to start at the top and be super visible in my failure just in case. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I started small, um, but it taught me a lot. Like I didn't know what a noise floor was. I didn't know what normalizing was. So I had to sure, go in. That and was me six myself. months ago. Yeah, yeah. I have been, I've, I've, my objective in part with this podcast is to be super honest and transparent about that stuff because nobody knows it when they begin. No, mm -mm. no, nobody's comfortable on a mic when they've never been on a mic. Nobody knows how to engineer oh. their own file when they've never done it before. Yes. And anybody that was doing it the old way, mm -hmm. like when I started, we were trained to never touch any of the equipment because it was all union. Like they, there was a person for each job. There was an sure. audio engineer to do what you're talking about. So I never had to learn until now. Yeah, that's that's a huge adjustment too. Like I imagine it it's a it's a very frustrating, humbling experience. Um, but it could be, but I prefer to look at it as an opportunity to engage with uh what is referred to by Suzuki and Montessori and others as beginner's mind. That it is oh. hubris that brings down the best of us, right? And it is <laughs> yeah. the ability to humble yourself uh, before the winds of change and allow yourself to to be a beginner you know despite whatever level of acumen and experience you have acquired over the years and yeah. that's what allows new knowledge and understanding to come in i completely agree i know it's a weird reference but i look at um <laughs> the drummer from the band rush is mm -hmm. is one of the those one, people the where, one arm drummer yeah where yeah. he's the like the best in the world and then he went and took a hiatus and mm -hmm. relearned how to play the drums from scratch, from noop, from beginners, from pros, from all these other people. And this guy's the best in the world. Yeah, and that's what I'm doing, except I still can't play the drums. <laughs> you need to put one arm behind your back. There you go. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, um, no, I, I, yeah. I get where you're coming from in that. So now, are yeah. you still doing audiobooks, or you moved away from that because it's so difficult? I moved away because it was like the time investment, I think, when when you do the math sometimes, especially oh, yeah. when you're starting out, it just doesn't make sense, you know? And I thought, well, for some of these, I at least want to try to get paid minimum wage if I can. <laughs> right. Now, uh, um, for those yeah. listening that may not be familiar, uh, you are on a platform like a ACX, which is where mostly like independently published uh -huh. authors get their books narrated before releasing it through Audible and Amazon platforms, they will pay, let's say, 100 or 200 an hour per finished hour. And per finished hour might be three hours of your time. You got to read the book to know what you're talking about. Then you have to read it into the mic. Then you have to read it again for any mistakes. Then you have to edit and clean up the files. And then you have to submit it. And then you may mm -hmm. have to do rereads, right? Because it has to then be approved. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the biggest uh, challenge in that is coming up with a process, you mm -hmm. know, um, and I actually found that, um, well, I'm, I'm just lazy. So I tried to just cold read everything. <laughs> um, maybe you're efficient. But maybe because I actually feel like that helped me a lot because um, cold reading is such a, an important skill too, you know, in what we do. 
Except so, how are you going to do that with a fantasy novel where there's lots of characters and you're going to have to make determinations as to voices? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I could not do that. Right. Um, but also then I switched to nonfiction. Um, mm -hmm. and okay, that's, found... that's easier to cold read uh, unless there's a certain vernacular yes. and specific words, you know, that you may not exactly. be familiar with. Yeah. Um, but it was good to to find a process to start better understanding the engineering aspect, um, and it was kind of low effort. And I'm a really big uh, nonfiction reader myself, so it was fun because I thought I get to I get paid to read what I might read anyway, so that's mm -hmm. good. Um, right. But yeah, it taught me a lot. And then I realized that uh, going to Twitter that there are audio engineers out there who actually know what they're doing and I can learn from them and talk to them and engage with them. And that was kind of fun. So yeah, that was kind of my way into, uh, to social media and figuring out everybody else who's doing this as well. You know, is that where you do most of your networking is through Twitter specifically or other platforms as well? Uh, yeah, Twitter specifically, I think it's the best for, uh, for the combination of media and text. Because like if you look at mm -hmm. things like TikTok and Instagram, it's all video, which is fine, but um, it's not it's not discussion based. There's not a mm -hmm. great platform for back and forth. And I, I like the engagement of something that can be back and forth like that, you know? Yeah, I have found that the voiceover community is mostly on Twitter, but the convention mm -hmm. industry is mostly on Instagram and the fans yeah. are going to be more and more on TikTok. And mm -hmm. of course, I... I already interviewed someone, I think it was uh, Sarah Sakura, who said she mm -hmm. does most of her networking on LinkedIn, which I get that mm -hmm. as well, if you're gonna network with the actual business people behind the scenes. Correct, and it depends, I think, on what your field is, what your chosen field is too. Because uh, for video game work, it's Twitter for me. Mm -hmm. uh, for my commercial stuff, definitely LinkedIn, yeah. So tell us, what are you mostly doing now? Um, I think, most often I do commercial and then second about even is video games. Yeah. All right. And, and then what were your in avenues into each of those areas? So for commercial, I started with some of those pay to plays and then I quickly found, I hate this. Um, really? What did you hate about it? <laughs> um, I, well, coming from an IT background, I was able to kind of see how the algorithm worked and what it rewarded and what it didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and and I found that deeply frustrating that it was, you know, you're already paying a fee to be on the platform and then mm -hmm. you're paying an additional fee on top of that. And then if you really want a book, you can pay an additional fee on top of that. Um, and and I just didn't uh, I didn't like that setup. Um, you shouldn't and I, have to pay for the opportunity to work. Yeah. Correct. And I think incorrectly at the time, I, I wanted it to be a meritocracy, but it's not. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I got a couple of gigs and I realized, okay, I can do commercial work. And then I just chunked um, uh, the pay to plays. And I said, well, maybe if I find an agent of some sort, they can fight for me for better pay. Because a lot of those sites, too, are a race to the bottom, as you well know, probably. Um, Some so, more than others. I mean, certainly Fiverr, it seems to me, absolutely pointless. But mm -hmm. in the, as with anything, there are, there are levels. So in terms of an agent, did you go regional or did you go after one of the agents in the major markets? Um, at the time, I didn't, I didn't know that uh, I could uh, 
find agents in other states that I didn't live in. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't, there aren't really a ton of Minnesota agencies. Mm -hmm. So um, I reached out to an LA agency because I figured I think that's where all of the work is. So why don't I ask them? Um, and I and I really just kind of went to, uh, I, I don't remember the agency, but uh, I asked them, what do I need to do to, to get representation? Because I, I'm really kind of lost. I mean, I have some samples that I put together. I can't even call it a demo because it's really not. It's, <laughs> it's oh, you here's went, some auditions you that I did. You asked them that early and they responded? They did. Mm -hmm. I, I was surprised. Um, but I think also it was a smaller agency in L.A. I knew not to mess with like the big folks because I mm -hmm. knew they wouldn't answer me. So, um, yeah. And they just kind of said, you need demos. You need this. You need that. Come back yeah. when you've got all that. Um, okay. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they told you what everybody kind of knows, which is, yes, you need to have, <laughs> you need to have uh, your social media pointing in the right direction and mm -hmm. at least a commercial demo and mm -hmm. a home recording booth and some mm -hmm. you know, base, basic promotional materials that will help them to make a determination to represent you and mm -hmm. help them to, to actually put you out there. And yeah. who did you end up going with then? Are you rep now? Uh, I am rep now. I'm with uh, SBV and ACM. I used to be with SBV many, many years ago. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that other one. Um, they're uh, management instead oh, of Oh, I saw that on your yeah. website. I'm going to keep that yeah. out because they're small. I don't want people contacting them. Tintinabulation, yeah. don't put ACM in this. Tintinabulation back in. Um, wait. T Between you and me, uh, I'm curious. Actually, let's do a sidebar on this if you don't mind. Okay. This will not be in it because people shouldn't know yeah. stuff. Uh, all the highest paying voiceover work I did was because of my manager, not because of my agent. Yeah, yeah, I've discovered that myself. Um. So I was curious what your experience with them has been because my manager is retiring. And between us, mm. her name is Debbie Cope, and she basically invented voiceover management. I I've heard of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Epic, epic voice guy. Uh, that guy's with her yes. now. Mm -hmm. I, that's the reason I was the voice of, you know, kids WB you know, Saturday mornings and Fox kids every afternoon. Like I got all that stuff because of her relationships in the industry. Mm -hmm. It, it mm -hmm. bypassed all of the, you know, a, a dozen different agencies submitting 50 of their best people. And then mm -hmm. the casting directors have to sort through 500. No, it's like, she would go to lunch with the head of production at Warner Brothers Television, and you know, then to lunch, I'd be their promo guy or whatever. It right? Was like, there were no additions; it was just networking. Mm -hmm. I wish that they still did that, to be honest, because I I was asking way more established people. You know what? You know, do I need an agent and a manager? Do I just need a manager? They'll all but, say no, and they're wrong. Yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, I decided to do it. Because Good. I wanted somebody who actually kind of knows my name um, or like what I can yeah. do. Well, I don't know them specifically. How long have you been with them and what's your experience? But none of this will be in it, by the way. Yeah. I've been with them over a year now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 95% uh, of my work I book through them and not my agent. Right. Yeah. Right. You almost don't need an agent if you have a good manager. Maybe yeah. I should look at them, actually, now that you've recommended Maybe them. Maybe you should. I will yeah. say this, though. I don't want to overstep. I just met you, and you're just telling no, me this. No, no, you're fine. Them. I think from what I understand, and this, I could be wrong because I am you know, I don't have a lot of tenure in this, but um, I, the one thing I've learned is there seems to be a fusing 
of managers and agents now where, you know, I think that agents were, were kind of going upset that managers were doing auditions and then managers realized, well, I don't have to do a lot of managing if you just audition for stuff, you know? Um, and so I feel like they've kind of fused together. It, it has to be a manager that will put you in a position to get booked, whether yeah. that's auditioning or through networking. But if they're doing that, they are doing that for you. If you just said 95% is coming through them. I can't say 95% came through my manager because I was with CESD. I was with like the top voiceover agency in LA. I got stuff. But like I said, you're in a big talent pool of very talented people as opposed mm -hmm. to the managers just cut through all that and they go straight to, and yeah, how, how do you in think, theory. how do you, <laughs> how did you get with them? How did you even know that they existed? Did they come to you? Uh, yes. Yeah. They reached out to me through LinkedIn. How did actually. I know? How did I know that? Because yes. how would you know that they even existed otherwise? Yeah, exactly. Uh, LinkedIn. So they out to how me. did they find mm -hmm. out that you existed on LinkedIn then? Um, I posted some videos of some video games that I was in, um, mm -hmm. some indie stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think for them, they were looking for Hispanics who speak Spanish mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they're bilingual and all that stuff. Um, so they reached out to me and I told them, you know, habla español? I, yes. Sí. Yo estudio español en la escuela. Muy, muchos años antes. Uh, mi español hey! muy so. That's great. I love yeah. it. Um, uh, yeah, I can fun. just order in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. So fast forward. Now you've got an agent, you've got additions coming in through the agent. But prior to that, I'm curious, were you able to get bookings on your own just networking through social media or how did you do it? Because before you got that agency representation, you you had to, to find your own auditions and opportunities. How did that pan out? Yeah. So uh, while I was on the pay to plays, I d you know, you do tons of auditions that most of them don't even get heard. Um, and I did I didn't want those auditions to count for nothing. So mm. I would take my my favorites and string them together into a pseudo demo and start kind of mm. shopping that around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I hopped on LinkedIn and I went to uh, production companies and stuff that I was seeing on the pay to plays. And just went directly to them and kind of said, hey, you know, um, I don't know, I can do this. Do you have any need for this? I, I'd be glad to, to help you out. And they often did because I kind of discovered you, you went to do... production companies that you mm -hmm. saw on pay to plays. You mean you saw the name of a product or a company that was auditioning on a pay to play and you went around the pay to play. <laughs> and that's so smart. <laughs> that's what you're saying, right? That's so I mean, smart. Yeah. 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 I well cuz I realized like if uh, I don't know in the corporate world I'm taught to you know you think about what does your client want and mm -hmm. I think the thing that annoys them the most is having to go through all the auditions and of course. having to do all that. They they right? probably don't have somebody on staff to sit there and listen to hundreds of auditions. Nor so do they, they want throw to. it to the intern. Yeah. yeah. Nor do they want to if they if they can shortcut the process. Yeah. Exactly. Of course yeah. now it sounds smart, but there have to be a few steps filled in in order to make that happen. So let's say yeah. that you, you're auditioning for, I don't know, a, a, a sneaker, a shoe company. You're like, uh -huh. oh, the shoe company is paying $750 to $1,000 for this uh, on this paper play. Like this is a legitimate thing. It's not $100. And so obviously they have the budget and they have the product and they have the need for the commercials, but uh -huh. they're not listening to my demos or they're not booking me. I'm going to uh -huh. go talk to them. Yeah, but how do you find the right person in the company then to talk to? It's not like you go on on LinkedIn and there's a, a title you can search for, or is there? 
Kind of like you can go to the business on on LinkedIn and mm. people list the business uh, on their resume so that links to it. So you can go to the business page. You can look at all of the employees and mm. all of the employees list their job titles. So I just went with whoever I felt was clo closely related to mm -hmm. <laughs> what mm -hmm. I do. Um, yeah, but also it, it wasn't so it wasn't so intentional. Like, I don't think I really understood what I was doing. I was just sort of like feeling it out and kind of going, yeah. OK, if I talk to this person, maybe they can tell me what they want or maybe they can tell me like uh, their pain points, uh, the things that they dislike about voiceover so that I can learn how to do this. You know? Well, how would you approach the conversation? Would you just start commenting on their posts or would you actually in-mail them? And for people that are not on LinkedIn, in-mail is sort of like you pay to send an email and it has to be that way so they don't get flooded with spam. Right. And they may or may not even read that at that point. Correct. Yeah. Um, so I, I would find someone and see if they were even active on LinkedIn. Cause you can see like their last few posts or whatever. So I didn't contact someone who, you know, their last post was three years ago or something. Um, and yeah, I just messaged them and I kind of introduced myself and I talked to them about what they want and what they need. And I found that apparently is a novel approach because a lot of folks come and say, me, me, me. Um, mm -hmm. here's what I can do. Here's my stuff. Drop it. Here you go. But I really did just kind of want to learn what they do and what mm -hmm. their job is, because if I'm going to be working with them, I kind of want to understand what it is they do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and that, that worked for me, I guess, um, at least to start to get a few enough to get the attention of, of an agent eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very yeah. novel approach. I have to say, I haven't heard of anybody doing that. And of course, that's not any sort of a shortcut. Like that takes time in order uh -huh. to be able to have that turn into the sort of relationship where they would then recommend you for a booking. And yeah, and you so start to probably, have the skills. <laughs> you start to have guilt. What the skills? Not guilt. Oh, the skill. Oh. <laughs> you said you start to have guilt about it. Yeah, like I mean, I have no, plenty the skills. Of that too, I guess, but <laughs> yeah, you start to until you have this. Well, if that's the point at which you are, then you're being very honest and forthright about your request to understand what it is that they are looking for. And uh -huh. were there sort of through lines that would keep coming up in terms of their answers? Yeah, I think for them, um, their biggest thing was we are looking for diversity and mm -hmm. we're looking for people who uh, do the more conversational reads. And uh, some, some of sure. them were having a lot of problems. One, defining that. And then two, finding it, um, mm -hmm. which in my opinion, if you can't define it, then you're probably not going to find it. Um, right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I got to kind of learn what what do you mean by that? Exactly. So con conversational was a, a catchphrase or a buzzword more than an actual type of read that they like. It's the sort of thing like pornography, like we know it when we see it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And everybody has a slightly yeah. different definition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. But but it started the conversation going in a way that wasn't yeah. asking for something for yourself. It was Correct. more service based. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, if this is going to be my job, my job is to do what they need. My job mm -hmm. is to do what they want, mm -hmm. um, regardless of how good I think that is. Um, <laughs> so that yeah. was that was pre-representation. Now that you have representation, are you still doing that or would you say most of your auditions are coming through? the agent and so it wouldn't be a good use of time 
most of my my stuff is coming through the agents now because I I noticed that there was a I think once COVID happened there was a flush of people reaching out as well mm -hmm. and that, I feel like that kind of exhausted that um, that thing where you know uh, I saw a couple of my colleagues post images of somebody saying you know you voice actors message me five six times a day and I'm mm -hmm. sick of it you know and mm -hmm. so I think some some avenues get exhausted you know and you got to find a different way in. Okay, so that was a great idea whose time has passed. Next. <laughs> no, I, I would it, say I would say it could still be relevant yes. if you're willing to take the time and do the research and engage and have real conversations all leading up to to the point where an opportunity would emerge. That and as you said before, service-based. If if you know, they get a lot of people coming at them saying me 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 and mm. fill my cup please, but they don't get a lot of people saying how can I help you? And I want to right. learn about what you do. And I think that's still valid. I think that's true in all business endeavors, really. Exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's good to keep in mind for those of us that are performers that are by necessity very me-based, too. Because you, you have to have an inflated ego to think that you can even make it in a in a <laughs> performance-based profession because there's yeah. so much competition and you have oh. to have a thick skin or you would quit. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a double-edged sword though. So on the one hand, it serves us to have that sort of personality because there's no way to make it without that unless you're a Nepo baby and you're, you know, like you're the... You're the the child of a of a star, and they just throw you into the project they're already working on. That would be but, fantastic, wouldn't it? Sure, yeah. but you know, other, but then you still have to have the talent. You know? So now you have agency representation, and they're willing to rep you, even though you are remote. What is your recording setup? It looks like you have a whole treated room, from what yeah. I can see here. That's not how I started, but yes. How did you start? Um, yeah, how did you start? I started in my now? closet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> started in my closet um i had uh, i lived in a different place and i just had a an extra closet that we didn't use so mm -hmm. i did uh, the the foam put up the foam on the walls mm -hmm. all of that stuff um and uh i ended up having to do some blankets on top and it was ugly i mean really ugly but it did the job you know yeah. <laughs> so yeah um and at the time you know um i used the money that I was getting from the few gigs for commercial that I was doing and all of the indie games, because those were remarkably accessible. And so I fell into those pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and that helped me build my portfolio. That helped me build my demos. Um, I, I learned a lot, you know, taking classes. But then also, I mean, for me, I didn't have a lot of money, so I couldn't afford the classes. But what I could afford was to go through, let's say, certain websites and listen to people's demos and learn from them through that mm -hmm. or go to you know those entry level things like a like casting call club and listen to other people's auditions and mm -hmm. go is that what i would do what would i do in this scenario and and break down other people's auditions as well and so teaching myself through that how to hone my skills and figure out what i want to do that is f me you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh that's the work that's the grinding kind of work that you have to do initially uh -huh. you know when you're getting started now for people that are starting now and uh, given the changes that that you've already outlined uh, have occurred uh -huh. since the pandemic what strategies and tactics would you suggest for people to to get in front of you said commercials and indie video game developers for instance so let's just stick with that to get uh -huh. in front of them 
uh, well, video game developers, absolutely social media, for sure. Um, and to me, I'm very, I'm very passionate about indie games because they push the envelope. They do new things. Um, it's not a, a sort of big bloated production. There's people that are very passionate about what they're doing. Um, and so am I, you know? <laughs> so, so, yeah. So let's get real specific here. So let's say you find an indie game developer on Twitter and you follow <laughs> them and you comment on your post. Looks great. Can't wait to see it and play it or whatever. Right. Uh -huh. What do you do then? Do you, do you slide into their DMs and, and start talking to them through private messages? Do you email them? You know, by the way, if you're ever looking for a such and such voice, like here's a link to my demo, take a more casual approach. Uh, some, mm -hmm. You have to do something, right? Yeah. I would think um, commenting would not be enough. So what would you suggest? I, I, I do the casual, more long game approach because I know, yeah. at least for developers, their process is a very long process. So if you hop right on a video game developer, they're going to just tell you, well, we're not ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. um, or if they do hop on it, they, they won't have any materials. They'll be like, sure, we'll cast you. We don't have a character or a script or anything like that, but we'll cast you. Um, so I think it's all about timing and about playing the long game and also vetting your clients too, because there's so many developers that end up life circumstances or whatever, just abandon that project. Um, and if you sink all of your time into engaging with them and it doesn't work out, well, that's your wasted time too. So I would mm -hmm. think as a project manager, is that what you call yourself? Project manager? Uh, yeah, that's what I was. Writing? Yeah. Yeah. Project mm -hmm. manager that you would have some way of tracking this, like a spreadsheet or something. What's yeah, your, what's I, your process of, for, for figuring certain, that out? Yeah. So I would it's not look just for random phases. interactions. Yeah. I would look for certain phases and say, okay, do they have a website? Do they have visual assets that they're posting? So like every, uh, there are hashtags that you can follow things like, um, uh, screenshot Saturday, uh, that you can go every Saturday and go look at what all of these game developers are doing. Is that um, the hashtag is screenshot Saturday? I mm -hmm. did not know that. Oh I, yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> who, what, wait, who am I doing? Yes. Johnny, Johnny Carson. Oh, come on. How did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm older than I look. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Okay. So screenshot yeah. Saturday. Um, and so I look at the, the phase of completion in their screenshot Saturdays. So if everything is alpha, if every, there's no color, there's no textures, it's just, you know, the, the mechanics of it, they are nowhere near ready. But I will follow them and I'll keep up with them and I will build a relationship with them if it's something that I feel I want to be in or that I like. And that's mm. the other thing too is um, uh, for me, authenticity is super important where I don't want to be in games that I don't like. Uh, I'm not going to enjoy Are you it. a gamer? That was my next question. Do you actually play these games that, that yes. you... Voice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it teaches me like, where is my voice going to go in this game? Because mm -hmm. if I don't understand the context, because you don't get it, right? You don't get a ton of context for these things. So mm -hmm. by playing the games, I can fill in the context myself and go, I know exactly where this is going to go. This is a menu select voice. Uh, this is a mid battle voice. This is something like that in effort. Um, and I know exactly where it's going to go in the game. So it helps me perform it better, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Although, I'm pretty sure somebody like Steve Bloom, I haven't had him on the podcast yet, but I'll just from knowing him, I'll bet he's never played any of the video games that he's on. And no, he's been on more than anybody. He doesn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> I do, so, but he does not. But I, but I put that out there because I'm not a gamer. I mean, I'll play them occasionally with my kids, but like, I, uh -huh. I got to prioritize my time. 
here, sure. and that's not a priority. And I don't think it's necessary. I think it's an advantage. I do think it's an advantage, yes. but I don't think it's a prerequisite. And you don't have to invest a ton of time. So that's what's great about this too. Is that I mean, I'm in I'm in my 30s. I don't have a ton of time to to play video games. So uh, what I do do though is I go to Twitch and I watch people play video games. And sure, I hop or you could see cutscenes and... on uh, on YouTube. Yep. On yep. Uh, the YouTube, the young people they <laughs> like uh, the YouTube. I hear it's and on so your phone fancy. or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so you can hop in and out. You don't have to sink in a ton of time anymore. That's a good uh, point. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. And that's also where I get like footage of my games too. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Yes. Other people posting cutscenes. Yes, exactly. Please yeah. don't talk over them. Yes. <laughs> what do you wish I'd asked you that I haven't asked you? Uh, let's see. I I think that if we're talking about remote voice actors, I think that the for me the one thing that we don't talk about is the emotional psychological aspect of it and how mm. that can really wear you down a lot. How so? Um because you're not part of the overall discussion of things. When you see rivalries, when you see opportunities come out uh, that you are not privy to, that you didn't even get an opportunity to audition for. You feel out of the loop. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you you have to try 10 times harder just to be out of the loop uh, at the end of mm -hmm. the day. Mm -hmm. um, and it can wear you down. But I think that these little things that you can do to gain even a slight advantage like that through social media, through whatever, um, they they help you stay sane. <laughs> they help well, you feel like you have some some measure of control. I can I could see I could see that. I I will also posit the counterpoint to it, which is living in a place like a, a big lake in Minnesota also helps you stay insane. <laughs> or me living yes. in an artsy little beach town in Florida for me that helps me stay sane. And mm -hmm. a big reason that I left voiceovers, I've talked about this as well, is. I was really burned out. It took me six or seven years to make it, and then I worked mm -hmm. nonstop for six or seven years, never saying no to any project because I felt like maybe I'll never get this opportunity again. And mm -hmm. then I freaking left. I was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I can't, you know, I can't live That's in this concrete jungle of 10 million people fighting through traffic every day, spending all the money I'm making just to live here, just so I can yep. have this competitive advantage. I need a break, and maybe I should have taken a vacation. <laughs> but I, you know, I moved out of state. Well, to Santa Barbara for a while, and then you know, mm -hmm. finally, completely across the country. So, yeah, yeah, your emotional and mental well-being and your health in all regards—that's the most important thing. Uh, mm -hmm. That's got to supersede professional relationships and opportunities. But you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. We are out of the loop because we're not physically in the studios, and there's no substitute for you know, a, a friendly face and a handshake and a smile and, you know, seeing somebody standing right there in front of you. However, I'm personally very grateful that remote even exists because I never yes. thought I'd be able to come back to voice acting again. It remains to be seen if I will. I wouldn't say I really am just because I'm doing a couple of projects right mm -hmm. now. Once those are done, then what? Right. Uh, right. But but if I am able to to make a comeback here living 3000 miles outside of L.A. and the kind of life that I want to live that's entirely because of the technology that is now available to us as remote talent. And that's why I'm interviewing you mm -hmm. today and having this series on 
remote recording. So thank you for mm-hmm. being so informative and forthright and inventive uh, in your <laughs> approach. I'm sure it will help a lot of people. Thank you. Appreciate that. And where can we see you? Is there? Do you have any upcoming events that you'd like to promote or conventions um, or workshops that you do? And where can people find you? Yeah, um, I I do some workshops every now and then with Studio MPC. Um, and but mostly you can just I'm super easily accessible on on Twitter and Instagram and eh, maybe TikTok, but mostly Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> um, but the big my big thing is um, sharing anything that I learn with other folks and and you know trying to be a part of this community because that's important to me. So yeah, yeah, me too. I think the voice actor community is just full of a lot of weird and wonderful people. Exactly. <laughs> weird so emphasis thank- on weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thanks for spending some time uh, with me and uh, giving of yourself to all of them. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I've got a question for you. Have you ever thought about getting into voice acting yourself? If so, check out my free intro to voice acting class at voiceoverchampions.com and become a voiceover champion.